All right. If we could kind of start making our way back to our seats. And I'm going to ask if uh, Tim would come up and read our scripture reading um, before we get started. Our uh, scripture reading for the evening is 2 Peter 1, 8 through 15. Let's hear God's word. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform your, confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, we thank you uh, for this beautiful, beautiful Sunday that you have given us. Um, God, we thank you for um, this season um, of the church. We thank you for um, Easter Sunday last week. Um, We thank you for um, the the, the glory and the beauty and the truth that we have a resurrected Savior, um, that um, all of our hopes um, have been answered. Um, God, that your justice has been vindicated and that your son um, has been exalted uh, because of his perfect life and perfect death. Uh, God, we thank you that we live in a, in a, a post-Easter um, world. Um, although we pray um, that we would never um, treat it like it is a post-Easter world. God, help us um, to live daily in, in um, thankfulness, um, in, uh, in devotion, um, because of what you have accomplished for us um, on the cross um, and in your resurrection. We pray that as we come into this time through the power of your Holy Spirit again, that you would work inside of us, God, that you would um, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to the things that we read here, that you would apply them to our lives, God, that we would imbibe them and that um, they would become part of us, that, that we would live our lives differently from this day forward because of the way that your word um, has gripped us in this time. And so, God, we pray that. Uh, we know that we are in our own strength incapable of that, um, but only through the power of your spirit um, can these things um, do the things that they have called us, uh, that we have been called to do. 
Only through um, the power of your spirit is, is your word made effectual in our lives. And so we pray that you would do that. God, conform us to your word, conform us to your gospel, conform us to your son. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Okay, so um, so even though um, if you're here with us on um, Easter Sunday, you know that we kind of finished up our series that we've been going through uh, that was mainly zooming in on Second Peter chapter one verses five through seven, and we went through those those seven characteristics, right? That God is calling us to make every effort to grow in. That we were supposed to add to our faith virtue, and to our virtue knowledge, and to our knowledge self control, and to our self control perseverance, and our perseverance godliness, and our godliness brotherly kindness. And to our brotherly kindness, love, right? Agape, that unconditional, sacrificial love for those who may be our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who may just be our friends and family members, even those who are strangers and even our enemies, just as Christ has done for us, that Christ was willing to come and die in our place, even for people who did not yet know him. And so that's the kind of love that God is calling us to. Um, God is has saved us through Jesus, and he is also sanctifying us through Jesus, right? Um, and that growth is a necessary outpouring of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, all right? So we are not saved by those works. We are not saved by that growth, but that growth is a necessary evidence of the fact that we are saved. We must grow in our inner character. We must grow in our outward service. And we must grow in our love and affection to um, people around us. All right? Now, that's kind of what we, that's in a nutshell, what we've talked about for the last seven weeks. Okay? And so we're going to kind of close this passage up today. And whereas we were just going one word at a time through those previous weeks, we're going to hit a big section, kind of, 8 through through 15, and kind of finish this passage out because there's a question that could be asked in all these things and you could say um, well why should I grow right the scriptures tell us I should um, be growing Um, I should be making every effort but why why should I do these things what is our motivation biblically to grow in all these things all right Now, on one side, that's probably obvious to us, right? Like if somebody just said, well, why should you grow as a Christian? Why should you grow in Christ? Um, For a lot of us, we would just say, well, of course we're supposed to. Like that's what God tells us to do. Um, That's um, that's the way he is. He has formed us and called us into his service. Of course, we're supposed to do those things. But the truth is, is this. The Bible's actually multifaceted when it comes to the motivations to grow in Christ. Like if you look throughout the scriptures, there are all kinds of reasons that God gives us to grow, to conform our lives to the gospel and to the word of God and to the image of Christ. It's not just one thing. It's not just because God says, I said, told you to do it, my word, so do it. That's the reason. No, that's one of the reasons, but there's lots of reasons, right? And lots of benefits, you could say, to being sanctified, to growing in in Christ likeness. And so that's what really the rest of this passage is kind of talking about. It's talking about some of the benefits that we find of being sanctified. Um, certainly it is good and right. Certainly we do it because he says so. Um, certainly because we were designed for it and saved unto it. But more specifically in this passage, we see some unique ways that sanctification makes our lives easier um, or better, or that we avoid negative and hurtful aspects of life that tend to plague even us as Christians, okay? 
So let's look at a couple of these things. Um, and, and again, some of them are so straightforward, right? You could almost just read the sentence and that would be enough. There doesn't need to be a lot of explaining, except we're going to spend about 30 minutes explaining them, okay? Um, and notice something about how Paul kind of talks about all these things there at the end. Look at verse 12. And I love this. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Okay, so essentially what is Paul saying? He's saying, I know this stuff is obvious in some ways, and I know you guys are already living by it in many ways, but I intend to stir you. And I love these two phrases. There's two phrases in there. The first one is he says, I intend, one, to make every effort. In these things, right? So I love that because he's already told, in a sense, he said, hey, you guys make every effort to grow in sanctification, right? And then he says, and I'm going to make every effort to remind you to grow in sanctification, okay? And so he is, he is making every effort along with us making every effort. But also, I love that phrase, stirred up. Okay, I think that's a great um, way to talk about what we as believers need on a regular basis in our lives. Right. It's almost like a pot of soup. Okay, you know what happens to a pot of soup, especially something like potato soup or something. If you leave it on the stove a little while, what happens? Well, this film kind of starts to settle over it. Right. And the things in it separate out and all the good stuff kind of sinks to the bottom. And then you just got the liquidy stuff up top. But with this crusty film all all over it. Right. That's our lives. (laughs) Okay, and you might say, that's kind of gross, Ash. That's our lives, right? And yet, what do we do when we go to eat a bowl of that soup, right? Immediately, what do we do? Man, you get in there and you stir it up and you get all that crusty stuff off the top and you get the, you get the good chunks of, of potato or meat or whatever it is stirred back into it and you get it edible again, right? Our lives get like that, right? They get settled. Um, they get crusty. And we need to be stirred up to where we are back to the way that we were supposed to be. And so Paul says, man, I'm going to take every effort, right? I'm going to make every effort, every opportunity to stir you up. Even if I think you know this stuff already, even if I think you're already living by it in many ways, I'm going to make every effort to stir you up. So let's see what it looks like to make every effort. What is he stirring us up to, right? Sanctification comes with a number of blessings. Number one, verse eight. He calls us to be sanctified. Why? So that you may live effectively and fruitfully. All right? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? On one side, that seems very obvious. Like, I don't even have to explain it anymore. He explains it for us. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So here's a question for you. How much difference does Christ make in your life? Like how different are you because of who Jesus is in your life than you would be otherwise? Because I think the case is probably this. I'll bet sometimes you feel ineffective. Right. Sometimes you feel unfruitful um, in your life as a believer. Like sometimes you look maybe at your own life and you you feel the pull um, of the things around you. Um, right. And, and you, you just look up sometimes and you go, man, I'm 
Jesus should mean more to me, right? He should be doing more. I should see more of the effects of Christ in the way I live my life. And yet, the honest truth is many times we aren't, right? We recognize that, that, that unbalance there. Notice the wording, though. These things are the path to effectiveness and fruitfulness, Okay, if we want to be effective and fruitful, then we must be people who not only have these qualities, but are increasing in these qualities. All right. And so it's been one of the convictions of, of the ministry here at College Street since the time we started that we want to be effective people in the kingdom. Right. We want to be fruitful people in our community. Right. I, I want that. I hope you want that. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to be more effective and more fruitful, right? The world and the church even has all kinds of answers for that. Um, there are all kinds of different things that the church sometimes says will make us more fruitful and make us more effective. But this passage is telling us it's very simple. The thing that will make us more fruitful and effective is sanctification, right? Being more like God has called us to be. What about professionalism, Ash? What about marketing? What about um, modern methods of church growth? What about networking? What about gimmicks? What about buildings? What about programs? What about all of those things? I'm going to suggest to you that some of those things can come alongside um, and our effectiveness and fruitfulness. But at the end of the day, they are fruitfulness substitutes. Okay? If we are doing things to imitate fruitfulness and they are not coming from sanctification, then we're cheating, all right? And the things that we are developing and growing are not authentic. They're just, um, they're just for show, okay? If our growth, if our fruitfulness, if our effectiveness is not sourced in our sanctification, something is amiss there. Because if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful, Okay? So first off, we see that. It, 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 we keep from being ineffective and fruitful, unfruitful. Two, in verse 9, as we are sanctified, um, we, we are sanctified so that we may see clearly what Jesus has saved us from. All right? So verse 9 says, for whoever lacks these qualities, right? If you're not being sanctified in this way, if you're not growing in these seven things that we've talked about, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Okay, so what is that saying? It's saying if you cease to grow in these things, it has the effect of making you basically like a nearsighted or a blind person. Okay, you can't even see what Christ has done in your life and, and all around you. For the believer, I think this typically ends up showing up and looking like two different kinds of things. Um, for the person who is a believer but has stagnated in their growth, it always, almost always anyway, looks like one of two things. Either, well, I'll say it this way, you end up looking like one of the two brothers in the story of the prodigal son in almost every case. Okay, You either become a legalist or you become a licentious person. All right. So when we neglect sanctification, when, when we... Um, ignore the growth that we're supposed to have, invariably either we begin to take God's grace and salvation for granted, and when we do that, we treat it cheaply, 
kind of like a get out of hell free card, right? Cool. I'm, I, I've, I've, I've fixed that whole thing about going to hell and, and salvation, and now I can just kind of do whatever I want to. And little by little, we fall back into greater and greater patterns of sin. Because just like he said, because we have blinded ourselves to what we have been saved from. We have blinded ourselves to the great sin that separated us from God. That's one way that we do it. That's, that's sort of, you could say, the, the younger brother path, right? The, the brother that, that goes away and lives in, in sort of open godlessness. But there's a second way we, we become blind, too. We also can become so self-satisfied just in the growth that we already have. So we kind of get to a certain point in our growth, and we say, cool, that's enough. Um, I'm certainly better than I was, and I'm certainly better than all these people who are around me. This is enough. And we begin to think that somehow we are more enlightened or more um, we've arrived somehow in our spirituality. We're better than those people that we see around us, and so we become self-righteous, right? But again, in that self-righteousness, what have we done? We have blinded ourselves to what it actually cost Christ. To save us, okay? So you're either thinking less of Christ because you don't see him rightly, or you're thinking more of yourself um, because you don't see yourself rightly. One of those two things ends up happening. And in either case, whatever happens, you have become blind to your sin. You've become blind to the greatness of Christ. And that's because you have ceased to grow. That's one of the consequences of this, okay? And so um, we are continually, as we grow anyway, if you are growing in sanctification, you are continually aware of just how far and just how much Jesus has saved you from. So one of the illustrations you, you'll hear me use sometimes is, is when you become a Christian, it's almost like having a telescope or something and looking through it from the wrong end, right? So you know what happens like when you look through, um, if, if you look through the wrong end of a pair of binoculars or a telescope or something, right? You look and you're like, oh, that person's 10 feet away from me. But then when you turn it around, it's like, whoa, it looks like that. They are, you know, hundreds of yards away from me, okay? Well, what happens when we get saved is this weird thing takes place. As we grow, we are actually getting closer to Jesus, right? As we grow, that makes sense. But as we get closer, we realize just how far we were away in, in the first place. And so sometimes what that feels like in our experience is to go, man, I just feel like every day, like I'm, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm certainly moving forward. Jesus just seems to be further and further away from me in some ways, right? And in the short term, it's not because you're actually falling away from him. It's because you're actually realizing how sinful you were and what it cost Jesus to save you from that sin, okay? And so that's kind of what he's, I think, the larger picture of what he's getting at. We become blind to those things when we stop growing. We don't notice how bad things are and how much we need to be saved from unless we are growing. Okay, so that's two. Number three, verse 10, he's calling us to be sanctified so that we may confirm our calling and our election, right? So again, there in verse 10, there, and it's, the point is exactly the verse. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. So whenever we talk about election, that the, the doctrine of election, the idea of, of God's special calling on our lives that precedes our conversion in life, um, even if we're, even if we believe that, right? Um, even if you are somebody who is convinced of the doctrine of election, um, there can still be this nagging doubt that takes place a lot of times, right? So you start asking questions like this: Am I chosen? Right? I understand that God chooses, 
But am I chosen, right? Am I one of God's chosen people? Um, is God actually in my life and working, or am I just fooling myself, right? Um, we feel that way sometimes. I'll be honest with you. It is a common doubt, right? It's something you see all the times, but all the time, but the devil actually compounds the isolation because he makes you feel like that is not an appropriate thing to think. Right. A lot of times what the devil will do is he'll say, you know, I know you're you're feeling these feelings of doubt and I want you to feel isolated in that. Nobody who's a real believer feels that way. You're a weirdo. Right. Nobody else who actually loved Jesus would ever feel like maybe he wasn't actually or she actually wasn't connected to Jesus. Don't tell anybody about this. Right. Don't share your struggles and your doubts with people, because that'll just make then they'll realize that you're really that far away from God. Right. And those those kind of voices come through our head. But notice what this passage is saying. It's saying. You should live your life in such a way that something happens so that you can confirm your calling and your election, right? The idea there is that your calling and your election, for some reason, could be in question in your own heart, right? And that you should live your life in such a way that you therefore confirm it, right? Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? That doubt is not uncommon. Um, it's not weird. It's actually part of the normal way that we do life. But here's something we should do. Not only should we take responsibility for that doubt and not only acknowledge that we have it, but it's something that other people have, too. But we should also take responsibility for the fact that maybe the reason we have that doubt is because we are not doing what the scriptures tell us to do to not doubt. Okay, because this passage is saying it's saying that one of the sources of that doubt is you not growing in sanctification. Right. If you are not if you do not possess those qualities and if you are not growing in them, it is common for you to have those nagging doubts. And yet Paul is saying to us, but if you will pursue sanctification and grow in these things, it will aid you in confirming your calling in your election. Right. You will feel more certain about it. I'm going to tell you one of these things right here. This is just a general principle for your life in Christianity. Right. As you move away from Christ in terms of your life and the way you live, you are supposed to feel doubtful. You are supposed to feel disconnected as you move away from him. That's good, actually. That's God's part of God's way of calling you back. If you felt fine, if you're like, no, man, I'm cool. Me and Jesus are good, and so I'm going to go off and live my life however I want to. Keep on isolating myself. Keep on moving away from him. Keep on distancing myself. If you felt okay with that, that would be a terrible situation, right? Because you would keep on moving further and further away from Christ. But what he does is he says, no, I'm going to let you feel the fear of that. As you get away from your heavenly father, as you get away from your uh, savior, I'm, I'm going to let you start to go, man, I just don't feel like I'm connected to him. I wonder if I actually am connected to him. And you begin to have a doubt, whereas we're not happy about the doubt, but the doubt is kind of like a warning light on your car, right? It's saying something's wrong here. You should probably check on something because something is not going right in your life. And yet in this passage, we see that as you pursue those things, as you grow in sanctification, you confirm your election. You confirm your calling, right? You feel that assurance that is a good and positive thing, right? God doesn't want you to feel disconnected. Like he's not like he's not like a like a boyfriend who's always threatening to break up with his girlfriend just so that she'll kind of he'll keep her on the hook or whatever. Right. Like that's not the kind of God we have. God doesn't want you to feel distant from him. He wants you to feel assured in him. He wants you to know that relationship, but he doesn't want you to do that if you're going to abuse it 
and act like you don't have to, to be, be connected to him and follow him. So that insurance is important. Um, it's tied to the motivation that we live our lives out of, right? That trust and that certainty that we have in Jesus Christ is the solid ground, right, that we jump out from, okay? It is the solid ground that we can therefore tr- uh, uh, risk for God from, okay? Like if I was sort of thinking to myself, man, I don't know if Jesus really saved me, and like I could go out and do something really um, scary and really sacrificial um, for God, and, I'm, and I might even lose my life, but I don't know if God saved me. Would that be a motivation? Of course it wouldn't be, right? I would sit there and go, maybe I should just like not and, and, and keep myself protected and not sacrifice because I don't want to take any chances of losing this life because I might not be a believer, right? I might not have any assurance with God. Assurance is good, right? It's the, it's the point from which we jump out. It's the solid ground that we jump out. But if we're not growing in sanctification, then God wants us to feel a little unsteady. Because in that unsteadiness, we'll say, you know what? I need to get back with Jesus. I need to get back to him and grow in Christ's likeness and be more like him. And so he, he, he makes those things that way, right? So we are being sanctified so that we feel that assurance, so that we can confirm our calling and our election. And then this one last thing in verse 10. He says, be sanctified to keep you from falling back into your sins. Verse 10 says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. All right, now there's a little bit of debate about what he's meaning by you will never fall in that place. Some passages say you will never stumble. And so some people are kind of like, is he talking about like falling away completely from Christ? Like, is he talking about some uh, the possibility of losing your salvation or something? Or is he just talking about falling back into some sin? All right, and so I think the answer is it's really kind of both. Um, if we are growing in these things, um, it confirms to us, um, it helps us grow to the extent that we will not fall. Number one, we won't fall away from salvation because we don't believe you can. And two, we won't even fall back into many of those sins because we will have started to, through this sanctifi- sanctification, grow past them. Right? We will have come to a point where we desire God and desire Christ and desire to be in right um, status and, and relationship with him more than we desire our sins. And so growing in those things helps us be the kind of people that we're supposed to be and not fall back into those sins. And so, um, again, in, in some ways, this one's a summary of all three of those other things. Because sin often takes the, 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 it takes on the look of those other things, right? We become ineffective or jaded or disconnected from God. Those are all different manifestations of sin. And so he's saying, but if you would grow... If you would pursue Christ in these things, make every effort, again, gospel-fueled, spirit-powered kind of growth, then you would find that you wouldn't fall back into those sins as Christ continues to sanctify you. So just consider how significant some of this stuff is, right? Again, it seems the way Paul talks about it after is it, he, he, he kind of points to it's almost, it feels a little flippant. Like it's just sort of like, I mean, you already know these things, right? I mean, you, some of you are already kind of living these things out, right? But I'm going to remind you of them because they are actually super central in, in your Christian walk. Um, think of how much piddling we do in our lives, right? Of just not feeling effective, not feeling like we're doing much for God's kingdom. Um, think about how often we feel numb to the glories of Christ. Like when we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us and it really hits us, man, it can, I mean, it brings us to tears. It brings us to um, these deep times of repentance. And yet most of the year we can just kind of live our lives as we always do, right? Because we become numb to those things. 
Um, we have these doubts, like we said, about all kinds of aspects in our faith. We keep stumbling over the same sins. And this passage is saying, potentially, you could not have to worry about any of those things if you would make every effort to pursue these things that God has called you to. You wouldn't have to live your life in constant doubt and fear and disconnection and all those things. If you would follow, you would, you would experience this blessing. All right? And so that's something for us to look to. Notice this last passage in verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. If, if we just had that passage by itself, it, the, the language of it might be a little misleading because it almost sounds like he's saying living a sanctified life is the entrance. Right. It's like the way we get into the kingdom is by being um, living a sanctified life. And if you mean as an evidence, that's correct. But if you mean as a means by getting in, then that's not exactly correct. But I, I don't think that's the, maybe the easiest way. The best way to think of it is kind of like this. He's saying you will be richly provided with this entrance. Like if you want to enter that gate, imagine, imagine sort of like a, a John Bunyan Pilgrim's Progress kind of picture, right? There's this, this heavenly kingdom, this, this holy city that is up ahead. And you want to travel this path and you want to enter in through that gate into this celestial city, right? What Paul is saying to us is this. Sanctification is the road. All right. There's no other way to get to that place. Like you don't get to meander through the fields of godlessness and uh, lack of virtue and ignorance and all these things. And then just randomly find your way at the gate one day. Right. If you want to go to the city, the road to get there is sanctification. That's the path. All right. And so this is the thing that God will be working you through. So a lot of y'all are in the professional world, obviously. And and you 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 when you start a job, a lot of times you'll talk about with your employer, what is the what is the path to advancement in this place? Like, what does it look like for me to move up the ladder in this this organization? Like I start at this entry level and then I get this and then I'm, you know, a lead and this I'm a manager and then I'm a whatever and I'm a CEO. And what you know, what's the process to go through this? Like, what does it look like? I think that's basically. Basically what he's talking about. He's saying, what does the pathway look like for me to be standing here right now in 2019 in Maryville, Tennessee, and to one day end up at the gates of the celestial city? Um, and the answer is, it looks like sanctification. It looks like growing in virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's what it looks like. And if you will do those things, you will find that your life goes a whole lot easier. Um, you will find that you miss out on so many little goofy, nagging hindrances that we deal with every single day. And again, I think that we will get there one day and God will say, man, it would have been such an easier trip if you had just stayed on the path. And if you had just grown in these things instead of meandering on and off. That's what Paul's encouraging us. That's his warning. Um, that's his encouragement. And again, it's, it's, uh, probably a warning is a too strong a term because he says, and I'm going to make every effort to stir you guys up on this stuff. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm, in fact, I'm saying many of you are already doing it in many ways, but I want you to do it more. I want you to be stirred up and make every effort to grow in these ways. Amen. So what I want to do is I just want to close and and we're going to I want you to take a time of prayer. OK, um, and just sort of. <laughs> 
ask God, and I hope you've been doing this the whole time that we've been, we've been going through this series, but I just want you to sort of ask God and say, man, what are the hindrances? Like, what are the things that are holding me back in these areas? Like, what is it? Is, is there, is there, is there a reason I'm not growing in knowledge? Maybe it is. Maybe it's because you, you don't make time to read the scriptures or something. Is there a reason why, um, you are not growing in self-control, um, because you easily fly off the handle or something or, or, or let your, your life and your job and your, and your whatever get to you? Um, what is it that's holding you back? Because it's going to cause you problems. And yet if you will, Make every effort against these things. We will see all kinds of blessing because of it. Not only blessing in the church, but blessing certainly in our lives. Okay. So what I want you to do is just ask God about that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where you're at. Um, I don't know what God has for you in those things. But let's take a time to pray, to pray, and ask God to begin to show us these things um, as we as we move forward um, out of this text in in Second Peter. Let's do that now.